What's up everybody? It's Dan, Finder Boneyard, coming at you from the office. Uh, you might hear a hum in the background, that is the heater running because it is the 6th of November when I'm recording this and it's 30 degrees outside so it is cold. You might also hear a clickety clackety sound that is the wind blowing my sign around that hangs off the building because it is blustery and windy outside. It is a typical Central Oregon fall day. Beautiful sunshine cold, windy, and all that. So, uh, I'm back. Thank you for your patience. I know it has been several weeks since the last podcast. Uh, it has been a very busy summer. I uh, went to a show, took some trips, did some stuff, cranked some tunes, you know, generally had a good time. Um, We've been very busy here at the shop, and sometimes I get motivated to get something done, and I forget to make a podcast, and then I go, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, and then something else comes up, and I just it just doesn't happen. Um, so rather than make a crappy 15-minute long one just to say I did it, you know, I'll make a actual half hour long crappy one just so that I feel better about it so anyway if you've been following on social media you can tell that we have been very busy uh, lots of stuff coming in selling lots of parts I appreciate everybody buying stuff uh, coming into the holiday season we're trying to ramp up on our stock just so that we have you know everything that everybody wants for the season. Um, this is also builder season. Now that car show season is over, guys are back in the garage either building a new project or another round on their current project or whatever. So we watch the part sales change over from parts I would consider driver parts like um, turn signal switches and window cranks and more back towards patch panels, um, engine internal parts, transmission parts, um, brake parts, that sort of stuff we start moving more of and then next month we'll see even more of that, more internal heavy parts um, and then you know then when you get into spring then it's people looking for gasket kits and windows and trim and you know and then by early summer the sales will kind of slow down because everyone's out using their stuff um, so yeah but anyway now that you've heard our business model um, I just appreciate everybody buying stuff and all the patreon donations and you know it's really helpful if you guys um, donate whatever uh, or, you know whatever it's all it's all good so I appreciate it um, today's episode is a deep dive into the black truck and 
I know I've talked about it a lot. There's a fair amount on YouTube about it. Uh, but I guess <clears throat> I didn't... I don't know. There isn't a super detailed account of what went into building it this round. So I am going to give you as much as I can remember, and I'll probably get some stuff wrong or backwards because, you know, at the time we're just flying through to try and get it done and I wasn't like making notes and stuff like that. So I'll see if I can do my best. But uh, if you're new or don't know what I'm talking about, I have a 1971 International 1210 Travelette, which is a crew cab four-door pickup started its life out as a three-quarter ton two-wheel drive was gas-powered uh, 392 Borg Warner automatic Dana 60 rear and the first iteration was four-wheel drive so put a Dana 44 under it from a, a 73 International it was open knuckle so then we put GM outers on it so now it has GM disc brakes and um, all the GM brake parts, uh, internal locking hubs. And then kept the 60 in the back because it was geared good, 373s. So um, ran it like that for a little while. Then I stumbled into a Cummins diesel. So we built that, um, hooked it up to a Dodge Automatic uh, 518 overdrive auto, and then the round pattern 205. Put that in. Um, that lasted a little while. Overheated it, blew it up, um, and then we started having transmission troubles with the next one. It just I ended up chasing problems back and forth and back and forth. And no matter how much we built that auto, it would just continue to get hot while I was towing, and then the engine would get hot um, from being turned up. You know, because to make usable power I mean a stock 12 valve Cummins is what like 140 horse or something or 160 horse I can't remember um, and they're fine in a stock Dodge with stock tires doing stock truck stuff but uh, when I put it in the International I was using it to tow a lot <clears throat> so we ended up you know different pump injectors you know, four inch straight pipe. Um, we just couldn't keep it cool, no matter what, no matter what kind of radiator, fan setup, mechanical or electric or whatever. It would overheat. Both of them did, not just the first one, but both the second Cummins that I ended up putting in there after I blew up the first one. Um, just couldn't keep it cool. And you know, all the Cummins folks are like, "Oh, you just don't know what you're doing," and that's very possible. Because there are a lot of Cummins-powered trucks out there that tow just fine. I have a 92 Dodge one-ton with a 12-valve in it. Bone stock. Painfully stock. And that truck has been ultra-reliable. Other than starters and lift pumps, the truck has just been great. And I believe it's been great because it left it stock. When you start turning them up and you start making more power, then you get more heat, and more drama, and whatever. So, um, blew up a second Cummins, and I had just decided that I was over it, and it was time to go a different direction. 
because being an international guy, you know, should probably walk the walk if I'm going to talk the talk. So, I had a DT360, which is an international engine. It is not a DT does not stand for Detroit. It's DT for diesel turbo. And it came out of a 1992 Bluebird school bus. And I drove that school bus home from the school bus seller. And it did 57 miles an hour. Top speed. Full wood. I never lifted my foot off the floor once. And you'd be amazed at how many people flip off school buses. Because, man, everyone in traffic hated me. The bus weighed empty. Just me. I scaled it just for fun. Weighed 18.5. So I figured in a pickup that weighed 7,000 pounds, this engine was going to feel like a rocket. So anyway, got this truck home or this school bus home. I kicked this engine around for quite a while. It sat on a pallet and it had an Allison 545 on it, which is the, the worst automatic ever made for driving. Um, it's extremely durable, bomb-proof pretty much, uh, but four-speed, no lockup, uh, just slipping all the time, and so just terrible. So anyway, had this stuff for a while, kicking it around, and I started doing some more looking around on some of the Facebook groups that are dedicated to these engines, and I realized that Allison's are pretty modular and you can change the bell house on an Allison transmission to pretty much whatever you want. So I sourced a Allison 1000 from a 2005 Chevy Duramax which uh, is the last year of the 5 speed and the last year that still takes regular Dex Merc fluid. So, ordered up a new bell housing for $260 or something, uh, and then a new gasket kit. And I changed the bell housing on it from the Duramax setup to the Industrial Allison SAE number two, I believe. I always get them confused, two or three. So, on the back of the DT360 is an adapter ring. There's a large ring, circular bolt pattern, and then it steps down to a slightly smaller circular bolt pattern, and that's what the Allison was bolted to. So, I bought the bell housing that is the large ring, which I think is SAE2, but don't quote me on that. Um, so, by doing that, we had to machine the same thickness of the adapter ring out of the flex plate spacer. So we essentially moved the flex plate a little closer to the engine by machining out the thickness of that ring. The amazing thing about Allison's was that the 545 flex plate is the same as the Chevy Duramax torque converter. So currently in the truck is a 360 mated to a 
05 Duramax Allison with a Duramax torque converter. All stock. This Duramax had, the guy said it was just under 200,000 miles on this transmission. I did not rebuild it. Didn't do anything. All we did was change the fluid in it. And when uh, you switch the bell housings, the filter now becomes an external, uh, it's in a different location and it's a it's different than the Duramax. Uh, same with the uh, cooler line inlet outlets, they come out the bottom on the industrial setups so you gotta do some creative plumbing there. But uh, yeah, so uh, it was really, I mean it was kind of a pain in the butt because the gasket to reseal it the front of the bell housing. Um, I needed more hardware because some of the Duramax hardware didn't work with the SAE bell housing. So several trips to the parts store, um, quite a few copper washers to seal the seal it up. But we got it mounted up. And uh, the 1000 is an all electronic transmission. And I know some of you guys are rolling your eyes, um, but we'll get back to that. The next step was making the four-wheel drive setup work. So I found that Advanced Adapters sells a conversion shaft. Uh, it's female spline on both ends because the output of the Allison is 29 spline. And the input on the 205, because it was a Dodge, is 23 spline, I believe. And sure enough, Advanced Adapters sells a spud that will couple those two. So to put a round pattern 205 on an Allison required elongating one hole in the uh, transmission output flange. And by doing that, we were able to mount the 205 practically horizontal. Like it didn't hang down at all. Super flat belly by doing it that way. The problem with that is that now you can't fill the transfer case correctly because the fill plug and the drain plug are pretty much parallel with each other. So you have to actually do it by the book and find out how many, how much fluid it holds. And we filled it through the speedometer hole because you can't put the right amount of fluid in through the fill plug because now it's level with the whatever. You get it. So a uh, little bit of a workaround there, but I was super stoked to have the case up high because the next location down to like clock it, the thing would have hung down like a plow and I did not want that. So, uh, so now we've got the Dodge 205 mounted to the Allison and, uh, you know, the Allison is computer controlled. So I had to find a guy or someone that knew how to make Allison's work in a standalone unit. I found a guy on the internet, transmissiontuners.com. A uh, guy named Jason out of Montana. He is like the rain man of Allison's. Uh, he is very smart. And so to make this Allison work, 
we had to rewire it using his diagrams that I purchased. You have to add a throttle position sensor. So I bought an Allison throttle position sensor off of eBay. It's a remote mount, has like a two foot long cable and then the sensor mounts wherever you want it to pretty much. And uh, Steve rigged up a bracket and wired it in because uh, again I couldn't have done all of this by myself. Uh, it would still be sitting in the driveway if it was up to me solely to do it. So thank God Steve and Ethan helped with the machining process and and the wiring and things like that but um, so we had to rig up a throttle position sensor for the computer to know what was going on and then the Allison uses three speed sensors um, there's one at the torque converter input there's one mid shaft and then there's one at the output but being that it was a four-wheel drive case to begin with there was no output uh, it was originally in the transfer case in the Chevy you know NP272 or whatever it was is where the output speed sensor was well since I'm running a 205 I didn't have that option so this is another tricky part I broke a 272 apart and inside is the 40 tooth tone wheel I tried to buy one loose on eBay and I've ordered like three different ones and every one that came was different and wrong so finally I just I busted open a transfer case and took the tone wheel off of the output gear of this 272 and then since we had not quite finalized everything we took the 205 off took that spud um, whatever you want to call it, spud shaft out of the the joint the transmission to transfer case and I had Ethan my employee machinist brain man himself um, machine down that coupler just a few thousands and open up the ID of the tone wheel a few thousands so that we had a hot and cold fit and what we did was we put the tone wheel on the bearing heater and we put the adapter spud in the freezer overnight and then the next day we pressed that tone wheel onto the spud and even with the hot cold fit it still required a slight um, you know you tap it on with a, a you know a large arbor to set it about the middle and then the extension housing on the 205 which is a cast iron piece about I don't know eight inches long we drilled a hole in that and made the uh, output speed sensor fit that hole and we made a rubber o-ring slot in it and we popped that guy in there so now the output speed is reading the 40 tooth tone wheel off of the spud that joins the Allison to the 205
and everyone that I've told that we've done this on thinks we're crazy and can't believe we did that, whatever. But uh, we are... It totally confuses people to hear that we went to all the trouble to run a mechanical engine, mechanical transfer case, and an all-electronic transmission. The whole point was the Allison 1000 has five gears, so, you know, four, and then the fifth being overdrive, of course. But it also has a lockup converter. And that is almost like adding another gear. And I'll tell you, the truck runs down the road very well with that setup. It took some doing. Uh, there were some growing pains, being that Jason uh, Transmission Tuners in Montana, and we are here in Oregon. And so there were a lot of emails and a lot of calls. And he ended up getting COVID partway through it. So he was down for like a week, couldn't take any calls, whatever. Um, the other thing that we had to get that was kind of expensive was the um, handheld controller, um, which is made by AutoCal. It was like $600, um, but it's a monitor and a digital dash. So I use it a lot. It's a, it's a good unit to have. Uh, we can clear codes with it and whatnot. So it's just a, a nice little thing. But anyway, so the 360 is completely stock. We did not touch the pump. I did not touch anything because after my experience with the Cummins, I did not want to have the same kind of problems that I had uh, with that so we left it bone stock stock turbo it came out of the school bus at about hundred and sixty seven thousand miles so not wore out by any means um, hardly any blow-by comes out the road tube uh, it's nice and quiet ran good uh, since we've had it in the truck I had to replace the coolant cups around the injectors um, which like I said, the motor's a 92, so I figure the cups made it 30 years. That's pretty good. Um, so, anyway, uh, what else? Really, the motor hasn't had anything. I mean, stock lift pump, stock pump, stock injector, stock everything. Uh, the only upgrade was the 4-inch exhaust and a cold air style intake. Um, so... The craziest part of the build was because of the size of the engine and everything, um, the radiator is in the back. The radiator is behind the cab. Uh, and I did that because the interior of the truck was already done. When we put the Cummins in, the second Cummins in, it was, you know, we thought it would be the last time. This is it. We're not doing any more. You know, so the interior got all the carpet and sound deadening and all this stuff to finish it out. The interior of the truck is done. And to put the 360 in, 
we would have had to cut a hole and move that engine in probably 10 inches to be comfortable with how much room was in front and to run some sort of mechanical fan. Um, <clears throat> it, it would have needed to move back about 10 inches. And the other side effect of doing that is that you cover up the valve cover, the back portion of the valve cover and the injector train and all that. So uh, I'm so glad that I didn't do that. After having to do the injector cups, um, it would have been a absolute nightmare to try and do them with the back cylinder or two cylinders in the cab of the truck. Um, so I'm really glad I didn't do that. But having the radiator in the back requires a crap load of electric fans. I'm running four 2000 CFM 13 inch fans. And even that is barely adequate when towing in the summertime. Uh, I've gotten it warm like 210 once or twice, pulling some big grades in the summer. Uh, most of the time it runs at 190 just fine and, and it doesn't have any problems. But I would like a little more room for error. Um, so the radiator behind the cab it's from a 2006 Super Duty, uh, so it's a giant aluminum radiator with no cap. It's sealed uh, because in the Super Duties, they don't have radiator caps. They have their recovery bottle and their and their coolant bottle is the same thing. So, um, so the Super Duty radiator made sense, and it was just huge. It was it's an easy to find off the shelf whatever it's it's a good unit to use for this conversion i had to notch the frame of the truck ever so slightly to get it to fit and then we made some brackets so the radiators actually pitched it like a 45 degree angle back there so that it can catch um the air that's coming back up from under the truck to come up behind the cab so um but it does have the four fans on there um being that the school bus ran dual batteries, I decided to keep the dual battery set up. So I'm running two group 31s, and then I have a 100 amp alternator. Um, so that feeds, you know, when everything's on, it's, it draws a ton of power. When you got four fans, the heater running, the windshield wipers on, the headlights on, and the stereo going, because I've got a pretty decent stereo in there. Uh, it sucks a lot of power. So uh, you got to have a 100 amp alternator is kind of the minimum. And no, I'm not running all that through the stock wiring. We kind of isolated the, um, the fans all run off of relays that are wired directly to the battery. And then there's a, a temperature switch on the engine that triggers a ground. Then the ground is what makes the relays come on and run the fans. Uh, that ground is also run through a switch in the cab so I can fire the fans uh, when I want to rather than waiting for the engine to get up to 195 to turn the fans on. Because sometimes when you're pulling a grade and the fans come on, it's a little too late. Like um, if you're pulling from Redding, California to 
uh, Weed, Mount Shasta, it's all uphill for like 50 miles. And if it's already starting to get warm at the bottom of the hill, it's you're going to have a hell of a time at the top. And that's what I'm talking about, about my fans being right on the edge of, of uh, you know, the limit. Because it'll run hot, you know, it'll run 210 all the way up that grade. And I don't like that. I'd rather run it, you know, 190 and have some room for error, Um you know, and of course, all these temperatures are when I'm towing. Uh, if I'm empty and I'm doing 75, it the fans hardly cycle at all, like almost never. Especially this time of year, I have the electric fans haven't come on once in like five days. So uh, it's only when I'm towing that I'm I'm talking about having temperature problems. And even then, they're not problems really. But um, so as far as the truck build goes. Uh, after the drivetrain was in, we put uh, one-ton axles under it. The front axles out of a Dodge. Uh, it's a Dana 60 Kingpin. Got 410 gears. The rear end is out of a one-ton Chevy out of a C30. It is a Dana 70. Um, it has a 10,000-pound GVW, so it's got four-inch axle tubes. Uh, it's also a 410 gear. I'm running uh, 285-75-16s, which are like a 32-inch tall tire. Uh, I did have to run wheel spacers, um, so because of the duals, you can't have them touching. So I bought some very expensive wheel spacers from a company that makes specializes in wheel spacers for heavy-duty applications. So it was like 600 bucks for these two wheel spacers, but they're steel, and um, you know when we put them on. We make sure we use Loctite and everything's torqued correctly and, and all that. And so far, we've got almost 50,000 miles on the truck since the conversion and have not had any problems with the wheels at all. So, knock on wood. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so that's what I'm running for axles. Uh, I did add another uh, add a leaf to the rear end to help with weight capacity. Um... We did uh, modify a flatbed to fit on the back of the truck. Um, the funny thing is, is with the radiators on there and the way we made the dual, um, the rear end dually now, because it was a single wheel, now it's dual. The flatbed is now four by eight, but it's four by eight sideways. So I essentially have a step side pickup bed on the back of the truck turned sideways. So everybody gives me grief about not being able to haul very much, but in reality I haul just as much as you can haul in a stepside pickup, a uh, long bed stepside pickup. So it's all right. Uh, I think we did okay. If you've seen pictures of it recently, the bed is it's not finished out. There's some more stuff I want to do. I want to add some toolboxes and, and whatnot. But uh, for the most part, it's been functional for this last year I mean, if you've seen any of the social media you can tell I've been all over the country with it and it's uh, it does very well um, the million dollar question that I keep getting asked is economy uh, running empty the truck yeah with four tens and 32 inch tall tires even with overdrive anything over 70 kind of puts it up outside of the uh, efficiency range. I think it's running like 2200 at 72. 
um, which is where I kind of like to stop. I don't like to push it over that. But uh, I'm averaging between 17 to 19 miles per gallon empty. Uh, the truck weighs 8,000 pounds exactly, according to the truck scale, with me in it. So um, I figure 8,000 pound truck getting 18 miles to the gallon average uh, is pretty good. Uh, especially one that we built ourselves. <laughs> um, loaded, it doesn't matter if I've got 3,000 pounds or 20,000 pounds on the trailer, it gets 11. Uh, I've tried, I've tested, I've checked, I've calculated, and no matter what, I'm getting 11. I did one time out of Arizona pulling my enclosed trailer, which is a giant wind block, uh, with a ridiculous headwind, and I'm doing 70 on I-40, uh, we ended up getting 9 miles to the gallon uh, on one tank because of just every factor in the book, you know, just pushing us. So um, other than that, the truck's really pretty reliable on the economy. Um, you can pretty much count on either 11 or 18. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just a, it's just been a great truck. <clears throat> um, it didn't take a lot to make the international wiring all work together because the, the stock wiring in the truck still reads, you know, the gauges. We've got sending units in the, in the block and all that. And speedometer works fine because the 205 has a gear drive. Uh, output speedometer output so we just hooked the cable up and um, so speedometer reads like it should now and and all that um, you know the wiring still comes off the alternator just fine um, we do have a shunt on it to keep from overpowering the ammeter um, so you know even when everything's on and full draw the needle on the ammeter only goes up to the first line just to let me know that it's working, um, but definitely protected. Um, yeah, the batteries, the two Group 31s are in the back next to the radiator. Um, so there is a battery cable that runs up to the front of the truck. It's a heavy one-aught welding cable. Um, what else? I did put a mud flap under the truck dangling down behind the radiator, but in front of the rear axle. And that helps uh, break up some of the wind and help the air come up through the radiator uh, when it needs it. The uh, AC condenser and fan are mounted at the back of the truck also. Um, yeah, uh, you know, that really was it, putting it all in there. Um, the intercooler, we used the factory international school bus intercooler in front uh, so that does that is getting fresh air um, so help with the boost it tops the boost tops out about 18 psi um, the highest I've ever seen the EGTs go ever on any of my heaviest hauling highest loads I saw 1150 once uh, in Wyoming pulling uh, pulling um, out of Laramie or out of Cheyenne um, yeah, like it just, the engine runs great. It's just bomb proof. It's got 2700 uh, RPM governor in it. So um, just stock. Just, it pulls great, pulls hard. 
starts every time, super reliable. Uh, yeah, I just I couldn't ask for a better setup. In the future, uh, I may if I do another one, I may cut a doghouse and sink a motor in there. But if I do, I'm gonna have provisions so that I can get the dash out easy or or whatever I got to do. I'll do those injector cups before the engine goes in, but still, you know, 30 years from now, I don't want to have to be fighting it again. So um, I do have a DT-466 slated for my next project, but that's going to be a different animal altogether. But anyway, I've run really long, and I appreciate you guys for listening. Hopefully that answered some questions and some, uh, you know, curiousness you had about the black truck conversion. But uh, anyway... Thank you again for listening. I really appreciate it. And uh, until next time, I'm Dan from Binder Boneyard.